according to the latest census figures, most of the UK population no longer declares themselves to be Christian. Only 46% do so. And of course that is using the term Christian in a very, very loose sense. 37% of respondents said that they have no religious affiliation at all. And while every major religion showed an increase in adherence, Christianity was the exception to that. There, were, there was a drop in the number of um, those who take that name Christian. Truly today, today's United Kingdom can be said to constitute a post-Christian society. And whilst we in Northern Ireland, we always sort of lag behind what's happening in the rest of the United Kingdom, but we know that the, the direction of travel is the same uh, in this province. We are now very much a multicultural society. Um, and people of alternative religions or of no religion at all represent our closest neighbours. Over a number of studies then, seven in total, including this morning's, we're going to look at the ministry of one of the greatest biblical prophets, namely Elijah. And the context in which Elijah ministered does bear some similarity to our contemporary culture. Not that in uh, Elijah's case, it wasn't a situation that religion was on the wane. For Israel as an ancient culture was suffused with religion and superstition. But as we shall see, Israel had become thoroughly polytheistic with the worship of pagan deities having to a large extent supplanted the worship of Yahweh, the one true God. Israel was now given over to idolatry and there was only actually a small remnant of true believers who you know, still worshipped Yahweh. And as such, God was going to visit judgment upon the nation and Elijah was to be his chosen instrument for effecting this divine punishment upon his rebellious people. This morning then, we're going to be introduced to three individuals. First of all, the terrible twosome of Ahab and Jezebel, and then to Elijah himself. So what I'm going to do is going to break up our reading into two sections. We're going to begin by reading the latter verses of 1 Kings chapter 16. So we'll be reading verses 29 to 34. As soon as I be able to locate it. And 1 Kings 16 verses 29 to 34. And then a wee bit later on we'll come into the next chapter. So 
1 Kings chapter 16, reading from verse 29. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel. And he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than did all the kings of Israel before him. In Ahab's time, Hael of Bethel rebuilt Jericho. He laid its foundations at the cost of his firstborn son, Abiram. And he set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son, Sagob, in accordance with the word of the Lord spoken by Joshua, son of Nun. So meet King Ahab and his less than honourable wife, Jezebel. And before commenting on this royal couple, royal couple um, who are labelled by Kent Hughes as the Lord and Lady of Darkness, we first need to paint um, the background to the period that we're now studying. This period is known as the Time of the Kings. After the death of Solomon... Israel had split between Judah and Benjamin, which became known as the Southern Kingdom, and the other ten tribes of Israel, which, you've guessed it, became known as the Northern Kingdom. And the first ruler of the Northern Kingdom was Jeroboam. Now, Jeroboam was concerned that At festival times, his people would want to travel south into the southern kingdom to attend the temple services in Jerusalem. So he wanted to head that off. He didn't want his people going into the rival southern kingdom. So to head that off, he had erected two alternative shrines. One was at the northernmost part of the northern kingdom, at Dan. And the other was at Beersheba, at the southernmost part of his kingdom. And that these shrines consisted of golden calves was a rather poor choice given Israel's history with the golden calf when Moses was up the mountain receiving the law. It was not that Jeroboam was wishing to introduce worship of other deities, of other gods or goddesses. But by establishing rival shrines 
to the temple at Jerusalem. Jeroboam had offended the prescribed order for the worship of Yahweh. Jeroboam was succeeded by five kings who were told in the Bible all did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And then Ahab comes to office. Ahab assumes the uh, rule of the northern kingdom. So we're now basically six decades on from when the kingdom was first, uh, when it was divided between, you know, the north and the southern um, parts of uh, of the land. And as our text tells us, Ahab did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. They were wicked enough, but nothing compared to Ahab. You see, Ahab went beyond the sins of his predecessors with their false system of worshipping Yahweh. That's the sins of Jeroboam referred to in verse 31 of our text. He went beyond that because now he introduced the overt worship of foreign deities like the Phoenician god Baal and the Hittite goddess Asherah. Worship now became explicitly synchronistic. That is to say, Yahweh was now only one of several deities who were worshipped in Israel. And indeed, Yahweh now took second place behind these other deities. Baal, in particular, was worshipped. For Baal was considered to be the god of fertility. A storm god who controlled the sky. And for an agricultural society... Good weather and especially abundant rain at just the right season was supremely important for crop yields and hence for the economy. And we're told that Ahab set up an altar to Baal in the temple of Baal that he had built in Samaria. Samaria being the capital city of the northern kingdom. We're also told that he made an Asherah pole. Asherah was a female Canaanite deity associated very much with sex. And thus religious prostitutes would be found at her shrines. As indeed was also the case with those shrines that were dedicated to the worship of Baal. How was it then that Israel, that is the the northern kingdom, for actually Judah, the southern kingdom, fared better in terms of maintaining at least a formal allegiance to the worship of Yahweh? But how was it that the northern kingdom had degenerated to such an appalling extent? Well, the answer is to do with marriage. Some of you may think that is a common source of problems, but I cannot possibly comment upon that. Ahab had married Jezebel. 
And this was the era when a country formed an alliance, a political alliance with another state. That alliance was often cemented by way of a marriage between members of their respective royal households. And Ahab had married the daughter of the king of Sidon. And his name gives away his religious affiliation, F. Baal, F. Baal. Indeed, Jezebel's home city of Jezreel was considered to be the absolute epicenter of Baal worship. And Jezebel's own name actually means Baal is the prince. Jezebel was a thoroughly wicked queen. And even today, you know, the name Jezebel is synonymous with evil. And of course, the Lord Jesus himself associated Jezebel with sexual immorality and religious defilement in his message to the church at Thyatira, found in Revelation chapter 2. Jezebel was determined that Baalism would replace any lingering worship of Yahweh. As we'll see on a subsequent occasion, she had the prophets of Yahweh killed, put to the sword. And she surrounded herself with the prophets of Baal in her personal court of advisors. And Ahab, who comes across as a very weak man, went along with her plans. He too, we're told, began to serve Baal and worship him. Israel thus departed from the ways of the Lord. And further evidence of Israel's apostasy was that Ahab allowed Hael of Bethel to rebuild Jericho. That was a flagrant defiance of the solemn oath uttered by Joshua when Jericho had been destroyed by the the Israelites, that it should never be rebuilt. And not even the death of Hael's sons, in accordance with Joshua's divinely mandated curse, would cause Ahab to have second thoughts over the perverse direction Jezebel and he were steering the nation. That's the background. Now, Let's turn then to our second uh, reading. So we're picking up again. We're in tonight chapter 17. And we're going to read the first six verses. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, There will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years, except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kerith ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kerith ravine east of the Jordan, and stayed there. 
The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening and he drank from the brook. So now meet Elijah, the prophet Elijah. Elijah's introduction to the scene is actually very abrupt. Roger Ellsworth writes, Elijah is a man without a resume, or as we in the United Kingdom would say, a man without a CV. We're told nothing explicitly regarding his parentage. All we are told is that he was a Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead. Tishbe was a small hamlet village in the hills of Gilead, an area found to the east of the Jordan River. Elijah was likely from the tribe of Manasseh or Gad, since these two tribes occupied this area. Gilead was very much hill country, and thus Elijah would likely have been strong and rugged, a bit like our Reuben. He's going to be used to the rigours of outdoor life. Maybe not like Reuben. (laughs) And later on, we're told that he dressed in a cloak of camel's hair. Again, a bit like Reuben. (laughs) Elijah was a convinced believer in Yahweh. Indeed, uh, the name Elijah means my God is Jehovah. My God is Yahweh. And that, of course, means that his parents, presumably, were true believers in Yahweh. And as we've read, Elijah introduces himself to Ahab with the words, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve. And later on in Kings and 1 Kings 19 verse 10, Elijah exclaims, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. So Elijah is very much a worshipper and servant of Yahweh. Despite the fact that the, the peoples that uh, would have lived around him would have been largely pagan actually. Elijah shows tremendous courage as he confronts Israel's apostate monarch. He hits him with a severe and extremely bold message. There will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. And I did sort of laugh about 15 minutes ago when that heavy uh, rainstorm obviously hit here. I was thinking that the Lord's given us sound effects for this series. In fact, if we try to reconcile um, the account in First Kings, which we've just read, with what James writes in the New Testament regarding Elijah's prayer, which you can read about in James 5, verse 17, it would appear that by the time Elijah approaches Ahab with this message of judgment, there had already been a drought of six months' duration. But this drought was then going to endure for another three full years. 
And what we must understand is that this was a divinely sanctioned punishment of which the nation of Israel had been forewarned. If you would turn back in your Bible for a moment to uh, the book of Deuteronomy. And if you locate Deuteronomy chapter 11. And we're going to read a few verses there. Deuteronomy chapter 11 verses 13 to 17. And you'll see the relevance then to what Elijah has just pronounced. So if you faithfully obey the commands I am giving you today to love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will send rain on your land in its season, both autumn and spring rains, so that you may gather in your grain, new wine and oil. I will provide grass in the fields for your cattle and you will eat and be satisfied. Be careful or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you and he will shut the heavens so that it will not rain and the ground will yield no produce and you will soon perish from the good land the Lord is giving you. Ahab was without excuse Israel was without excuse. They ought to have known the score. And remember, Israel was an agrarian economy. So a drought of this magnitude, three and a half years in duration, would wreak havoc, causing mass starvation and a multitude of deaths. And Elijah was chosen to be the Lord's messenger of doom. Elijah then receives another message from the Lord. Leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kerith ravine east of the Jordan. In other words, flee, scram, get out. Obviously Elijah's own life was in danger. And indeed later on we're told through Obadiah that is not the Book of Obadiah, which coincidentally we'll be studying in 2014 DV. 2024. <laughs> but the Obadiah that we meet later on in 1 Kings 19, that Ahab would launch a manhunt for Elijah, no doubt with the intention of killing him. For Ahab blamed Elijah for the drought. The Lord, however, assures Elijah that at the Kareth ravine, he'll be sustained by water from the brook and miraculously by ravens bringing him daily rations of sunbests, finest bread and carrion. And that is what happened. Elijah bolts it to Kerith out of Ahab's reach and sure enough the brook and the birds provide sufficient nourishment for Elijah even as the land of Israel wilts from its lack of moisture. Now as with all talks 
in this series, or indeed any series, what I want to do is to tease out a couple of lessons, and there are only two for this morning. Things that we can learn and apply to ourselves as Christians living in 21st century Belfast and beyond. The first lesson is this. The Lord God whom we worship and serve is sovereign over nature. Baal, the storm god, Baal did not control the weather system. Jehovah, Yahweh, controlled the weather system. The Lord had forewarned Israel of what would happen should they embrace the worship of false deities. And that is why there was no rain for three and a half years in Israel. And the Lord God could command the ravens to bring his servant food. What makes this even more remarkable is that ravens were birds of prey. And as birds of prey, they were acting contrary to their own nature in bringing carrion to Elijah. Joel Beaky, and I just thought, what a fitting name for speaking about birds. Joel Beaky comments that ravens were known to sometimes even refuse to feed their own young. Yet here, their flight schedule involves twice daily flyovers to Kerith to keep Elijah from dying of starvation. Moreover, it's not lost on the commentators that ravens were considered to be an unclean species. Yet Yahweh chooses to use such birds to perform his will, showing that he has the right to override all. He is the sovereign Lord. And he is still sovereign over nature today. Why did it just rain? He allowed it. Rain, sun, hail, snow, hurricanes, droughts, tsunamis, climate change, all are under Yahweh's reign. And God can use whatever and whoever he wants to serve his purposes. And that applies to friends and foes alike. Nothing lies outside of Yahweh's purview. And secondly and finally, the importance of good leaders. You see, Ahab was not just any individual. Ahab was the king of Israel. And as such, he had a representative function. He was supposed to lead the people of God. But Ahab was an abject failure. Dominated by his wicked consort, he led Israel further down the road of idolatry. And his disobedience brought divine visitation by way of drought and famine. In stark contrast, Elijah was a man of God who was obedient to his calling to bring this message of judgment right into the king's court. And through his ministry, Elijah would lead the people of Israel, albeit only for a time, 
But he would lead the people of Israel to see and recognize that Yahweh was indeed the only true God. Today, we need to pray for good and godly leaders. That, of course, is paramount within the church context, but also beyond. Whilst today we live in a democracy and not a theocracy like Israel of old, it's right that we pray for Christians of genuine commitment to be raised up to assume leadership roles within the state. They may not be welcomed. Think of the avalanche of abuse faced some months back by Kate Forbes for her evangelical Christian views when she stood for the leadership of the SNP. And might I say, how badly Scotland, which some people describe not only as the most secular part of the United Kingdom, but as possibly the most liberal state in all of Europe. How badly Scotland could use such a leader. And here in Northern Ireland, we need to uphold in prayer those leaders who stand up for biblical truth in what is now a hostile post-Christian environment. And we need to pray that others, especially those who can defend the Christian uh, faith in a convincing but also a winsome way, are elected and use their influence for good. Of course that will mean that they will have to be prepared to say things that are unpopular and countercultural. Just as Elijah's message was not what the king nor the people of his day wanted to hear. And we also need to pray for leaders of other faiths or of no religious affiliation at all that they do not take us further adrift from the ways of God and thereby provoke his wrath and judgment. The tide of secularism and pluralism is very strong. We do live in a changed environment, a truly post-Christian society. But you and I are called upon to resist that tide to stand up for truth and pray for national repentance from the path of apostasy. So let us then, in Castlereagh Fellowship and beyond, be people of bold faith, confident that our God sits on the throne and that his ways will prevail in the end. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Castlereagh Fellowship podcast. For more podcasts, Bible teaching videos, and to see what's going on at the church, please visit our website, castlereaghfellowship.com. God bless.